you know, we, we keep saying we are all in this together and it's very important that we do things together because what happens in one country will tomorrow happen in another country. And it's really important we work as a world on this. And actually, when WHO comes out and says you really should do that, that countries do get on and do it. Democracy in Practice series by Club de Madrid gathers the voices of democratic former presidents and prime ministers who leverage their individual and collective leadership experience to strengthen inclusive democratic practice today to better deliver towards the well-being of people around the world. podcast series Democracy in Practice. Today we will be discussing with Barbara Stocking, Chair of the Panel for a Global Public Health Convention, the need of creating a global instrument to build a robust global public health system. Welcome Mrs. Stocking to Democracy in Practice. Thank you. Without further delay, let's get into the conversation. Over the past two years, Club de Madrid has worked with the Panel for a Global Public Health Convention to prioritize the reform of the global public health system to ensure a global health architecture capable of preventing future pandemics, while also supporting the recommendations of the Independent Panel for Pandemic Prevention and Response, the Global Preparedness Monitory Board, and others. Specifically, Club de Madrid and the Panel for a Global Public Health Convention focus their advocacy on the need for a global treaty, convention, or international agreement, and brought this into the decision-making levels in the UN system. Barbara, there has been progress in the process of developing this new pandemic convention among the World Health Organization member states. Can you tell us about this process and where we stand now? Yes, thank you very much. Yes, very early on in the pandemic, um, people began talking about a treaty or convention, and I'll call it a convention from now on, um, because it was so obvious that countries weren't prepared for it. For, a, for an outbreak or a, or a um, pandemic, um, they didn't respond well. They didn't respond very fast, um, and it was and and then we we had the outcome of that. So we were talking about it, but even then, from early on, it took until December 2021 for the World Health Assembly in a special session to agree that there should be work on developing a, uh, a legally binding treaty or convention, and that was really when the work began because. Um, uh, what was set up was what the court is called the intergovernmental negotiating body. And that is all the member states, basically. But they have a bureau of six people helping to see where they're going. And that was set up to really try and see what should be in this treaty. So most of this year has been talking with um, not just member states, but uh, organisations like us, lots of civil society, about what this you know, um, uh, convention should actually include. And the one thing that was became very clear, is that, uh, clear was that it has to be a legally binding treat, treaty. And that means actually under what WHO calls its Article 19, that means it has to be ratified by governments, not just sort of accepted in the World Health Assembly to, to take action. So that was one outcome of, of, of this year. The other outcome is at the end of the year, we had a conceptual zero draft, which will has pretty well everything that countries want to have in it said in summary. Um, and there will be a zero draft just starting up, now agreed in the, in the new year. And that is when the negotiations really start, actually, after all that time. Um, and we're aiming for a date for this treaty of the um, 2024 in May at the World Health Assembly there. So it's quite a, a long time. 
And it, it, it has some complexity in that there are already international health regulations that are being act, actually renewed alongside and they must conform to each other, basically. So some people are saying this is all too much. We can't do it by 2024. And I'm afraid our panel is saying you've really got to do it. Actually, the world can't wait. It really needs this treaty because people were not ready before. Thanks so much, Barbara. This has been a very interesting update. Let's move to the next question. This year, 2022, Club de Madrid and the panel for a global health convention has unified efforts to advocate for collective leadership to master the political will needed to achieve the pandemic convention that will help us better respond on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and prevent future crises. Could you share with us some key actions which, from your experience, will help to increase political will needed to achieve the pandemic convention? Yes, I think if, it, if it's in terms of sort of people and influence, um, we've been doing quite a lot of work with UNITE, which is the parliamentarians of the world who are interested in global health. And I think parliamentarians actually are a very important group because they can work with their governments and persuade them uh, you know, about you know, what things can be done really. Um, the, the particular panel that I chair is, is um, of senior leaders across the world, and it, it doesn't deal with actually local campaigning, if you like, but it's very important civil society also get back, and I think it does now, actually, the, the global health people actually do in civil society back the need for this treaty and, you know, are pressing for it as well, because that is incredibly important. And the reason I say that is because one of the issues that comes up all the time in this discussion is about sovereignty. You know, we, we keep saying we are all in this together and it's very important that we do things together because what happens in one country will tomorrow happen in another country. And it's really important we work as a world on this. And actually when WHO comes out and says you really should do that, that countries do get on and do it. So um, pe people have to accept that um, yes, the health, the health of their country is their sovereign duty, but at the same time to work together for this and agree um, the things that they will do. So that's that's a big issue, I think, for some of the, the actions that we have to take to really persuade people that it is absolutely right, uh, you know, that it is that, that you do have to do these things. Without it, we are not safe one to another, really. So those are some of the some of the thoughts for what's going. But I think the most important thing for, for, from our point of view is that we have to keep talking to member states and really understanding what their different positions are and why they are. You know, and for example, um, there's, a, there's a lot of movement from Africa saying that in order for us to sign up to this treaty, we have to have a lot of work done on equity, particularly this whole question of having equity to get the, the global public goods, the vaccines, the drugs, the, the, the tests, the, the equipment, all shared out fairly. And they're wanting to make sure quite rightly that that is written well into the treaty. So understanding what different member states require in the treaty to make it possible for them is a very, you know, very important part of it altogether. So I hope that helps answer the question that you were hoping for at least. Hmm. Very interesting, Barbara. Yes, an approach to member states will, will definitely help to increase political will to achieve the, the pandemic convention. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Now, following to the next question, as we speak, our top priority must be to ensure building a robust global public health system with clear lines of accountability in order to enable all countries to detect, alert and respond to health threats before they become global pandemics. Based on your experience, which are the crucial elements that the Pandemic Framework Convention should include, considering also the lesson learned from the COVID-19 experience? Yeah, well, the first big thing is preparedness. Um, countries were not prepared, even ones with big public health systems. And in part, that's because the whole of government wasn't included in, in their preparation. And also that people hadn't tested out what they were going to do. Um, and simulation exercises are very common now, of course, in, in all sorts of walks of life, including health. Um, but that's really needed. And that preparedness, um, we're suggesting it's really important that that is assessed and there's been talk about peer reviews of it, you know, countries by each other, but we're very clear that you really need an independent assessment body, um, if you like, on top of that, to make sure that we know, you know, what's happening. And, and preparedness may have to develop un, unevenly in different countries because the poorest countries can't necessarily get all the standards straight away unless they are really well financed from the global community to do so. So preparedness is, is big, of course. But response to an outbreak, um, you know, right on the, the very earliest part of this whole um, issue, um, that has to be really good. And one of the big problems we've had, which was true in, in COVID, there was hardly any action taken in February 2020. And that just left the world open for the, the outbreaks to, to, to increase and then the, the panic take over, the pandemic take over. So governments have to really understand they have to move incredibly quickly. It's hours and days. Because these viruses develop, they, they infect in exponentially, it grows and grows and grows. So you've got to move incredibly fast. So the response is very important. And at the center of that, of course, you have to have um, WHO really you know, making sure that they are providing really good scientific advice about what needs to be done at which stage. And of course, very early on, everybody has to do, if they've got tests for this, whatever it is, then they have to be doing testing. But tracing and isolating are a basic, a basic concern in, in, in this. So those are some of the key issues around that, of course. Eventually, we want to prevent pandemics at all, prevent outbreaks. And that can only be done if we really deal with this question of zoonosis, where um, animals and birds have viruses that they don't normally, but can ultimately transmit to humans. And there are hundreds of thousands of viruses that are known in animals and birds that might one day transfer. So we are at very high risk. Now, the, the One Health movement, which is things saying that you know, humans and animals have to be healthy in order for this to work, you know, are working on what you have to do to make us safe from those um, zoonoses. So that's a part of it, but probably not one that in this convention can be spelt out in quite so much detail because although people know what the problem is, they don't necessarily know, you know exactly what you should do to deal with it. But ultimately, we want to do prevention and then preparedness um, and, and readiness for a response there. And, and as I mentioned in the last little questioning, um, the, one of the big issues in all of it, of course, is equity in these, in these global public goods. You have to absolutely have that. And that is one of the big questions that's, that's running in the development of the convention now about how we do that. Um, how we actually get manufacturing in countries, not every country, but enough you know, to serve several countries, um, and how we can do that, and also how we can get the tech transfer to those countries to do it. So those are the big things, really. 
Definitely. So considering what you, you just mentioned related to preparedness and, and response, how can a global health treaty achieve the global cooperation needed to prevent a new pandemic with a coordinating response among countries? Okay. Um, that, well, first of all, there is no point at all in having a, a treaty unless there is accountability for it. Otherwise, you, 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 know, you don't know. That's what happened with the international health regulations. Nobody did what was recommended. So the, the whole point of this is to have accountability, really. Um, and who's that accountability to? Well, it's first of all, it is to other countries. It's mutual accountability. If you've got to ask your population, your people to do some things that are quite difficult, then you want to know that other countries are doing the right things as well um, to make you safe. So there's, there's that part of it. There's also um, if, if, if people go through this treaty and ratify it, you then have both civil society and parliamentarians who can challenge your government and say, why aren't you doing this? Because you, you actually signed up to it, um, really, in that. And of course, if you have the sort of independent assessment body that we've been talking about, a small body, not exactly in WHO, but in this in the, the, the structure of this treaty, basically, who can look at all these things, then making that public is really quite important because countries... I mean, countries do want a good reputation for what they do as well. So really being transparent about what's happening is incredibly important. But it is difficult, actually. It's not, um, it, it, you know, it's, it, this, this sovereignty question comes in, you know, very much here. And, but, and we need to make sure people do understand how they really, truly can only be safe if everybody is safe um, you know, in, in all of this. Um, for, for the low-income countries, of course, there is some incentive in the fact that we're going to have to find money for preparedness and response for them. That, that gives an incentive to be also part of this treaty. But we also have to make sure the rich countries deliver. And we've been looking at some potential measures uh, related to the IMF that look at that fin financial stability, because if a country is not prepared for pandemics and, um, and its response to them, then its financial stability is not great, as we know very dearly from um, all the work, you know, with the, all the spending that's had to be done on, on the on the COVID-19. So there are some incentives, but it's still uphill work, I think, to persuade people that this is really vital and they have to do it. Thank you very much, Barbara, for this interesting discussion and for sharing your views. We have now reached the end of this Club de Madrid podcast, Democracy in Practice. More episodes will follow. It has been a pleasure having Barbara Stocking reflecting her insights on the creation of the treaty. We truly hope uh, we can move this initiative forward in the coming years. Many thanks and goodbye. Yeah, thank you too for you. Bye-bye.